You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook or rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Don't forget, make sure you're reading The Summit every day, summithoops.com, two T's in honor of Pat. Coming soon, I'll reveal first on this podcast, an app of our own in the coming days that will be available in the App Store for iOS and also on Android. And to commemorate this happy occasion is someone who has done so many things in the world of basketball. I'm really excited to have her here on the podcast. Cheryl Reeve, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Sure, Howard. It's great to be here. I I love all the the ways that you're advancing uh, women's sports, specifically women's basketball. And it's just exciting, you know, to to kind of watch you be a part of this thing and, and grow it in the way that you are. So we appreciate you. Well, the pleasure is all mine. And that actually dovetails directly into where I wanted to start with you. Because something that you do that I admire and I think is really interesting is your strategy for attacking the current state of media and how to make it better in a variety of different ways, whether it's pushing outlets that do it or pushing outlets that don't. And I'm wondering how you came to this current strategy and what you think is in your control in being able to do it? Well, I don't know that I have a, a strategy <laughs> strategy per se. I just know, um, you know, I, I'm passionate about uh, opportunities for women in general. And so that's probably the root of, you know, maybe all of my responses to things and, and what, I'm, uh, what I'm seeing and understanding in the media world. And um, I, I just think it's really important that, if we kind of stand idly by, then we're not going to be able to reach the change that's necessary to really grow um, as a society, and then obviously specifically in sport. And and so I think that, you know, for me, it's it's uh, it's about that. It's about, you know, if you see something, you say something. That's not just for the TSA. You know, that's for that's for everything. And and that's where I'm I'm at at this point in my career. Do you think that? In large part, these decisions get made because nobody is asking the question, why? Yeah, um, well, I, I say the root of some of the issues of coverage are, you know, decision makers mm-hmm. that uh, have long held a maybe certain view about women in sport or whether it's women in sport or just how they view about a variety of sports. And, and it's, it really is a bias. You know, if it makes sense that that a, a person that's sitting in a in a in a seat of you know kind of power, so to speak, to decide what we cover, what we put on, what we write about, how big of an article we allow to be written, um, it's a person that is kind of going, I have interest myself right. that I would rather see this than this, and and that's you know that's irresponsible in my view, and I think that it's you know the the interest in our game is at an all time high. The interest in women in sport is at an all-time high, and the coverage doesn't match that. And so it's kind of this feeling of this age-old, you know, person that's sitting there going, "Yeah, but the interest isn't there." Right. Yeah, that people don't want to watch that, and that's not true. Yeah. It's not true. And we've seen that. We've seen as ESPN has gotten more and more involved and more and more committed, they're getting a return on that investment. You know, as as highlighted in, in the women's final four. Right. You know the unbelievable, uh, you know ratings and 
And that's what ESPN, you know, each time they put themselves out there for us, for women, that when they see that return on investment, they kind of go, okay, we can do a little bit more. And we saw that. All of a sudden in the WNBA, we had X number of games they were going to broadcast, and then they increased that. I think that had a lot to do with the response to their coverage uh, of the women's college game. Yeah, I think so too. And and it was striking to me that the original number was just nine when they were up 11% year over year in terms of ratings last year. But I see it from a different perspective than you do just as someone on the media side. So I see it as when ESPN got behind and made a big push uh, about UConn reaching 100 straight victories, suddenly I'm contacted by editors who I'm normally the one reaching out to. I'm the one pushing to try and write a story instead saying, hey, how would you like to write about this? And there ends up being a pace that is set by ESPN. And I guess there's a concern there that it takes a disturbance in inertia for that to happen, that the natural resting state of things is to make sure that all men's sports are covered before we get to women's sports. There was an interesting piece in the Washington Post uh, a few weeks back, uh, and it talked about the fact that, and this was when Maryland looked poised to make a run in the NCAA tournament, and it talked about the fact that Georgetown men weren't in the tournament, nor was Maryland. The Wizards were on a little bit of a downturn. It was spring training for baseball. The Redskins are terrible. And only, therefore, would it be possible for right. Brenda Fries to have her moment. And the fact that yeah. that that's the implicit understood hierarchy like you said, especially in light of the fact that whenever there is a concerted push, and not just a push to televise women's sports, but to uh, promote it beyond, like the 2015 World Cup right. being a great example, where it wasn't just on TV for Fox Sports, but you had Alex Morgan on The Simpsons and American Idol, and there was cross-promotion, all of those things, that the audience is not only there, but in many cases it exceeds what the men could get. It, is there a way to change that other than to continue to just pick up these data points that indicate, hey, when it changes, there's money to be made. Yeah, and that's the part that doesn't really uh, make sense to me in terms of the disconnect of the understanding. Why would you eliminate half of your possibilities business-wise? Mm -hmm. uh, this is an opportunity to add to your business, grow your business. There's a market there that's virtually untapped. And, you know, what's going to change that is, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big on social conditioning. There is no doubt in my mind, as I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son, that uh, I'm very aware of how, from birth, um, when they say it's a girl or it's a boy, how that's going to impact uh, their lives and what they're going to see on TV. And, and, and so I think until young boys, uh, as well as young girls, are treated in a way from birth with equality and opportunity and resources. And that, that conditioning that when a young boy grows up in today's society, they are conditioned to believe that they are better than. Mm -hmm. And girls are conditioned to believe that they are less than. And so how we can move that is uh, people like ourselves, Howard, uh, as, we, as we raise kids, as we uh, kind of control our destiny, so to speak, in the jobs that we do, in uh, your push for coverage and your push for change, that the more we add people 
that are doing that and we're using our voices. There's many, many times I hear from decision makers that where they say, well, I didn't really think of it that way. Mm-hmm. When I say, when I, when I gathered with our media a couple years ago and we talked about how can we be leaders in this, how can we be, not just cover the links because we're great, but how are we leaders of change? Because that's a big responsibility that I think that people really value. How can we do that? And my position was, this is, this is ridiculous that we get, you know, 2% of the coverage in our market. This is ridiculous. And we had a, a, a media member say, well, it starts with winning. Well, that's interesting to me because we win. <laughs> And so many of our teams in the area at the time were not winning. Mm -hmm. And so clearly that is not the marker for coverage. And so that kind of, to me, that speaks to what women go through, that women are held to a different standard as far as qualifications, whether it's for a promotion or for media coverage, whatever it is. And that's what has to change, that we kind of assign the same markers for uh, qualifications of uh, a position in, in leadership or uh, a position in, in the landscape of professional sports. And, and so I think it's just really creating more awareness and, and that, that our words matter, you know, when you're in a position of leadership, that if you don't think of these things, and, like, I, not you know, honestly, most of them are, are white men mm-hmm. that are in these seats that are you know, just kind of keep doing the same thing, you know, that it's just, there's no change. And and so how do we, and my position with that is just continuing to poke and say, look, you know, this is not right. This is, look over here, look at this, you know, this, this opportunity right here. And, and, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And sometimes it's the age old, well, you know, that, that only white men are, um, uh, capable of these things, or men in general, from a sports standpoint, are capable of attracting this type of attention. And so I think the conditioning happens over and over and over again. Turn on the TV. Yeah. Um, Go go through a... a And look at what the the coverage is. Uh, I'll give you a good example. This happened recently here in our market. We have a guy that, that covers the team you know, rather lightly, but he's there. And he's familiar with the links. He likes the links. Right. And he was on a uh, a show, and he was talking about all the city sports. He was talking about the Wild and the Vikings and the Timberwolves and the Twins, and he was asked about the links. And instead of answering the question about the links, he went back and talked about the Timberwolves. And there was never that connect for him that that was a great opportunity to share his knowledge and help us grow the game. And when he was challenged on that, his response was, well, they're in the preseason. Well, I'm pretty sure the Wolves are in the offseason. Right, right. So so there's just this nonsensical, I think is is probably the best word that comes to mind, view of, you know, kind of our place. And, And, you know, you have to have people willing to do this. You have to have a want to. We have a lot of people interested in doing the right thing and then we have people committed to doing the right thing and there's right. a very very big difference in that we've got to move the interested folks over that line uh to being much more committed 
I mean, I, I will just say, in his defense, you know, the Timberwolves won 31 games last year. I think you guys only won 28, right? So, I mean, if we're <laughs> measuring based on that, and a slightly That's different no, number of total games. But, no, no it's, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's, it's the fact that the Twins will get covered, and, and I don't just mean, you know, Minnesota, but I'm just speaking across the board, because they exist. They'll be covered in the preseason. They'll be covered during the season. They'll be covered if they ever make it to the postseason once again. And so the bar, it starts with winning, is an absurd statement on its face because for these other teams, it starts by existing. And so the knock-on effects, like you said, in terms of how people are consuming it, is this always matters. Basically, the statement I think that is being made every time is this matters. And every time something isn't covered, it's implicitly, this doesn't matter. And so exactly. as, long, as long as those are the two messages that are being sent, I, it, it tells you everything. And what I, I was just having a really interesting conversation with a woman, Jessica Luther, uh, who's written uh, on issues of, of equality uh, for a long time. And she was giving a speech about unequal media coverage uh, at a college and had an undergraduate athlete ask her, is the problem with violence against women within athletic departments directly tied to this? And I think it is. I think it is all part of a larger societal issue that if women do not matter, then how they are covered and what happens to them won't matter as well. So I, I, I do think there's, there's a, a big issue to tackle and and it may seem like sports coverage is a small version of that larger issue but i think it all comes together and i think it has to be collective well i, I couldn't agree more you know I, I think you you're speaking exactly uh to the heart of the matter um you know there's there's a culture you know in the in the sports world but there's also a culture in the business world yeah. and I, I i do a number of uh speaking engagements where i, I i'm out and, and speaking to business about winning and about women in leadership and that sort of thing. And we hear the same things. We hear the same things on that side of it. So it, it is universal. Like you said, it's a societal issue. Um, you know, one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter is Gina Davis mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, League of Their Own and obviously many other great things. But uh, she is a, a real champion for women's portrayal in the media. And it is, it's just every time I follow and, and you know, kind of read and click on the links, it's just, uh, unbelievable the data that's out there that that supports the idea that you know how far uh, we still have yet to go you know to reach uh, the idea of of equality and and uh, but we gotta you know people like Gina Davis and and yourself and anybody that has a chance to you know use their voice we've got to do it and you know my, everybody has a voice you know we all have a, vo- uh, a vote you know in things and we all have a choice in in what we get involved in and 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 you know what we're passionate about so. It, like it, I said, we just got to keep doing that one day at a time. It's all about chipping away. I totally agree. So let's talk about how that relates specifically to the way people perceive the Minnesota Lynx. I, I guess there's sort of two parts to this question in my mind. Number one is when you think about what you guys have accomplished, do you think there is a case to be made that this is the greatest team in the history of the league? And the other part of it is that there is not a consistent conversation when the best teams of the era come up that you guys are in. 
that there's a lot of talk about the Spurs. You know, the, it, UConn, at least on the college side, has eventually broken through, but they had to do that by essentially never losing and not having lost two in a row uh, since I was bar mitzvahed, which was a long, long time ago. And so I just can't help but wonder how much of that you think is the gap, the gender disparity, and how much of that is playing in Minnesota instead of playing on the coasts? Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks more to, like you said, the the gender gap, the coverage. There's not there's not the awareness. Um, you know, there's you know there's the idea of you know like again here in the market, I can speak to you know the big four sports sort of thing that the WNBA is not included in quote the big uh, that were you know uh, kind of considered to be again less than. And, and it's, you know, that's all a part of the work that we just talked about that, you know, trying to change that. And I think once that changes and, and frankly, once the, once the media coverage changes and ESPN has a, has a tremendous opportunity. Now they are, um, their, their commitment to us financially and, and getting behind our league is significant Mm -hmm. and it is appreciated. And because without that, you know, everyone thinks that the, that the NBA, um, subsidizes our league. That is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is through the hard work of sponsorships that our league is uh, moving towards profitability. We have a greater percentage of teams in the WNBA profitable than the NBA has. Right. And so it is not um, that is a myth, and that is the kind of the, you know from the very very beginning the perpetual um, group of naysayers that have this notion that we're being propped up. Well, uh, yeah, it's powerful. It, it, it's it's women who are only allowed to succeed because they're being uh, supported exactly. by men. I mean, I mean that's right. you know, it's it's pernicious, so it's but it in. makes sense that it would be there. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, yeah, and, so it's and all tied in. I, I guess on, on that point, I, I'm curious what you thought of the NWSL uh, making that deal with Lifetime. You know, there, there was a lot of conversation. There's been a lot of comparison to what you know, the W is doing and, and the trade off being yep. that, you know, Lifetime it is their big sports property and it gets treated that way, but in another sense it's segmented. It's something apart. And uh, obviously the W tried uh to do it that way as well early on. Uh I guess it's also notable to me that that was during a time where the WNBA attendance was uh tremendous. So I don't know what do you right, think there's right. a there's a right answer because in both cases, it, it's almost like there are these two fronts that need to be attacked, right? It needs to be a part of the overall conversation. And, and this even gets into the comparison between men's and women's players. This is, you know, is there basketball right. or is there this thing apart that is women's basketball? And right. to the extent that that is the case, that it is marginalized, it's going to limit what the audience is. But the flip side of it is... Are are there areas in which it feels like the W is not a thing of its own every time we get, you know, Martel Fultz at the WNBA draft, for instance? Yeah. Well, you just touched on so many things. Sorry. Um, but yes, I think that's that, true. That's okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. Um, you know, the, the lifetime piece, you know, in, in the NWSL, that uh, it's all about TV, right, for, for any, any league, any mm-hmm. sports league trying to – um, really carve out true space on the professional landscape. It's about TV, and really even college, if you think about it. It's all about the TV dollars. That's why you see all this conference movement, the bowl games, the TV. That's where the money is. Um, 
I think that in the case of, you know, a, a good place to start uh, for NWSL to continue to kind of grow their business. Um, but I think what's really, really important is whether it's Lifetime or ESPN. I mean, sure, you have the idea if we're on ESPN and, and we're on ESPN2 or ESPNU or whatever, that it's somehow less than, is viewed less than. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that we view it as incredibly important to be on and the opportunity to be on, regardless of which outlet it is. Uh, maybe even you know ESPN3, at least you have the ability to get your eyes on the product. Mm-hmm. And now what needs to happen is, like, for example, again, I can speak to locally here in our market. Uh, FSN is um, an outlet that I have uh, struggled to understand why not all of our home games are on. Right. Um, the same number of games were on since I was here in 2010, and maybe what was on in, 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 in the early years of the franchise. We only had, like, six games a year on, and we never were able to move off of that despite all the success and despite all the interest in our team. And so what we hear a lot is the folks that want to put it on TV, there's a cost associated with production um, of, of, you know, a, a game on the road or a game at home, whatever it is, you're paying talent, you're paying for the, you know, the, the, the truck and all that. And, right. and there's a, a cost associated. And so what we hear all the time is that, you know, the business of it sometimes is prohibitive. Now, again, that same marker is not for, not... Uh, on the other side, mm-hmm. because the cost <laughs> on the other side is great as well. It would n- never it even be thought up. of. It would never. Yeah, there, it would never of. occur to anyone not to televise all forty-one home games, all forty-one exactly road right. games of the Minnesota Timberwolves, regardless of the cost. Exactly. And so, again, applying a different standard um, to uh, the idea of broadcasting our games. Now, and so what I, you know, so the answer to this is. You know, until we can change the decision makers and and get retirement and they move on and we get new blood in there that has grown up in a society where I talk about little girls and little boys, WNBA games and seeing women in this role and there's an expectation that they are equal to. We're going to get there. It's probably a generation away. Um, So until then, um, the angle that we can try to, quote, win with is, okay, FSN will put these games on if we can cover our expenses. And so now what we need is going to businesses and say, we need you to advertise. Mm-hmm. We need you. We need our business folks out there pounding the pavement. If we need three sponsors a game, go get us three sponsors. Surely we can find people. I, I tell you, whatever, where I go, when I meet people, it's just creating an awareness that right. there's a need there to do this. And so, again, that goes back into now the internal business um, our organization committing resources to doing that. And so, again, where's the interest in it? Sometimes the interest is great. Sometimes the interest is, well, it's going to take resources away from, you know, doing this for the wolves or doing this over here. And, and you start getting more, you know, the, the objections. So you try to, you know, slash through the objections to get to real answers. And so I think what, I, what I'd really like to see is ESPN and Lifetime and anyone else and FSN that broadcast uh, our games, whether it's basketball games, whether it's soccer, whatever it is for women, that somehow we find a way to reward them with viewership right. and also sponsorship. And that takes a lot of work. Yeah, it absolutely does. And it is, again, it's building one's own infrastructure instead of the infrastructure assumed to be there. So it's, 
it, it, it's a, a, a multi-front challenge, I think, which is, I, I, like you said, it, it's symptomatic of the challenge that women face in society overall, but it's striking to me that that is the necessary work at the same time as building a winning team, which is a difficult thing on the court uh, and in this lead especially to do in and of itself. So it, 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 it's fascinating. I, we could talk about this alone all day, but I want to talk about so we, we sure your could. team. But it's a challenge, yeah. uh, Howard, it's a challenge that's worth rising to. Yes. You know, that's, that's the thing. And, I, you know, I think our, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about coaching. I'm passionate about our players and our sport, but I'm really passionate about this as well. And I think we need everybody. We need, we need all hands on deck, so yeah. to speak. And, and, you know, we all have a responsibility to do that. And, and all that you are passionate about, all that, frankly, I am passionate about for it stems from opportunity. And the opportunities begin with making sure that that infrastructure is built. So if, I know I, I join lots of people in being grateful for the work you're doing with that. Uh, I, I want to talk about someone who is building her own legacy, but quietly. And we've talked about this before, uh, about the gap between what people understand Maya Moore to be in popular culture and what Maya Moore has already been. And so I just throw a couple of numbers out here for benefit of discussion. Uh, you know, first of all, we had her first over at the summit uh, in our ranking of top 20 players. Uh, and it wasn't a particularly difficult decision to put her first uh, to take nothing away from the elite players across the league. But what Maya has done overall is really unmatched. She is per win shares, which is one of my uh, favorite handy uh, catch-all stats, she is 16th in league history, uh, which is an amazing thing for someone who has only been in the league, uh, at, you know, as long as she has been. She is ahead of, uh, for instance, uh, Simone. She's ahead of Swin in terms of total win shares for a career. Uh, she is closing in on people like Penny Taylor. She's got a chance to catch Katie Douglas this year. And uh, she's right, right near where Becky Hammond is. She's almost certainly going to pass Becky for career win shares. What do you think it will take for the popular understanding of Maya Moore to be what the popular understanding should be, which is an argument for, and I think potentially by she's done, the greatest player in the history of the sport? Yeah, um... I think that Maya is largely viewed as the, if not the best, darn near uh, best player in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think the circles that I kind of am in, I, I, I feel like that's the sentiment. Um, I think that... Well, I think inter what internally I, that's true. I, th I think within the game there's a clear understanding of it. I, I remember I, I was having a conversation with with Dan Hughes about this, uh, about some of the best players in the lead, and uh, not to slay Maya, but I, I had uh, mentioned a couple other players, and almost angrily he said, no, this conversation starts with Maya Moore. So, you yeah. know, there is that understanding within, but you, she's not in popular culture in the way that even uh, other, other women athletes are. Again, you know, you start to get some into the social issues, uh, the bias I think that exists of uh, black females uh, versus white females, and yeah. you know, I think you get into you know the root of some of those um, 
you know, you see more maybe popularity of a women's soccer player, a women's volleyball player, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's a social social uh, bias as well. Uh, so I think we fight some of that, and you know, I think maybe um, just the sport in general. Like I said, I think basketball versus some of those others, kind of you know that that's a, a bigger mountain to climb, so to speak, and uh, it's unfortunate. And I think that um, you know, I think about you know tennis you know, all the years of, uh, you know, Venus and Serena and the uh, divide that exists, if you will, that, uh, or even not even to have them in the conversation of greatest of all time in sport, mm-hmm. um, and not, not just in women's tennis, as I think you alluded to earlier, there's, if there's a segment, um, the fact that, you know, that it's caused so much dialogue um, because they're women of color is just, you know, it can be pretty discouraging, and I think that that uh, in the case of Maya, I think there's some similar issues um, that go with our sport, not necessarily with Maya. Mm-hmm. There's not a, a a person that you would rather have uh, representing your your league, your company, whatever it is, than Maya Moore. Uh, there is there is you know the the level of talent uh, that she possesses, the level of passion she possesses for anything that she is doing and that she gets behind passion for paying it forward you know whether it's um, young girls young boys and just all that she stands for and and it's it's unfortunate there isn't more but again it goes back to you know all the things that there's not the coverage there's not the awareness and it's just women sort of thing and so I think as we see that as we kind of knock down those barriers you're going to see more of Maya in those types of conversations across all you know, sports, not just that she's the greatest in women's basketball, but one of the greatest athletes, professional athletes of all time in any sport. And that's the way that it should be, and we just got to keep working towards that, that dialogue. You know, what you talked about paying it forward, and one, one of my favorite things was recently uh, I ran into her at the Jordan Classic, and it, it was down the stretch, and, you know, look, it's, it's, a, it's an exhibition game at the end of the day. It's, it's not a game where the outcome even matters all that much. <laughs> and she was so laser-focused on every single play. And so no one, no one was talking to her because she was absolutely so fully engaged in everything that was going on on the court start to finish. And just the extent to which basketball was so important to her. Even, you know, we were about to do our interview and there was a basketball, the, the men's game was about to start, and she just, you know, without thinking about it, picked up the basketball and started to dribble uh, just because she was so committed to the game. And and I think when you talked about the difference between the two, it's true. It, it, Maya seems, at least from afar, to be so much more focused on being great and being the best basketball player she can be than anything like, you know, building her brand, to use, you know, the the parlance of 2017. And it seems like she pays a bigger price for that than her male counterparts do. And, and I guess I wonder whether you think that that's something that changes over the course of her career or what you said earlier was talking about this being a generation away, which is about how I... How I hope and believe it will be as well. It would be great if sooner, but it seems like that. Or do you think do you think that there will be an appreciation for Maya during her playing career? Well, I think Maya's young enough and I and I honestly think that, you know, while we, we feel like progress 
overall has been slow through the years. You know, our league is now in its 21st year. Mm-hmm. I will say that I think the last couple of years there's been an acceleration uh, of the progress um, and probably greater progress socially in the last three, four years as compared to the first, you know, 17, 18 years. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of that, there's a chance because Maya is young enough. Yeah. And, you know, if she plays another, you know, 10 years, let's say, and we continue with this acceleration of change, then I think there's a real good, real good chance for it to happen. And I, and Maya is going to be a willing participant in that progress, in that acceleration. And I think as you log, as long as you have that, um, you know, kind of commitment from players in our league. And, and one of the things that our players have been tremendous about is prioritizing the WNBA over anything else. And I think that's important for the overall growth of the league, the overall respect that people have for our league. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's you know, I think all those things that Maya partakes in and, you know, again, as a willing participant, um, can, can make the chances pretty good for her to be able to experience that yeah, you know, at, so. at some point in her career. I hope so. I, yeah, it comes down to that basic statement, it matters, right? It, it's people making that point. But it, it just, I, I covered uh, Tamika Catching's final playoff game at Madison Square Garden and I remember as part of the conversation uh, and there was not a big crowd of people around the person who you can make a very good argument was the most valuable player uh, to date in the history of the league and if you go by Winchez it's not even close Uh, she's 20% better than anyone else who's ever played and part of the conversation was almost a wistfulness that you know what there aren't going to be enough people a large enough group of people who are going to properly understand her career in context. And so in my mind, it's, you know, hoping that we find a way to get to that point for Maya. So um, I, I agree. Yeah, so I'm optimistic about it. But yes, I, I, I share that thought with you as well. Let, let's talk about something that Maya did extremely well for your team, but uh, was uh, a, a relative flaw in the team and it feels very strange for me to say that about the team that was top in offensive rating last year and was a possession uh a call if you will away from a wnba title uh and that's making three-pointers and uh, maya was up over 40 percent last year from deep uh but overall we've talked about this uh you know in the past uh that you guys were it was 11th if memory serves in uh made and attempted threes how do you square improving in that realm with the fact that, look, this was a team that ultimately performed offensively better than anybody else in the league last year? I mean, how much of it a concern of it is, uh, of, uh, is it for you, and what do you do about it? Well, I, I think what we try to do every, every new season is to find a way to get a little bit better. And... Mm-hmm. You know, that's, like you said, that, that says something for a team that's accomplished so much, you know, since 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a, there's a hunger there to do that, and that's been really fun to be a part of. And each person doing something a little bit better. And so we've kind of targeted that uh, for this coming season as is, is an area of growth. You know, we don't want to be 11th in anything. <laughs> right. uh, and so, um, you know, we, we will certainly make a concerted effort uh, to to improve I think that we had opportunities for for open threes that we didn't make, hmm. uh, and we, from by players that we think are very capable of making shots, and and 
I'm not going to say the the simple difference is going to be the ones that are open this year. We're going to knock them down. It's not that, but it's more about a mindset that when you begin to emphasize something, you you see greater results to it. And and so I think that we're a group that whether it's Lindsay Whale, whether it's Simone Augustus or Gia or Renee, all very very capable three ballers that. Uh, just have to tweak their mindset a little bit about their willingness to, you know, to launch them and, and you know, getting more balanced to twos versus threes. You know, we were, us in Chicago, were tops in the league uh, at percentage of uh, field goals coming from two. Right. Um, you know, like you said, we were 11th, at, you know, three. We did get to the foul line. So true shooting percentage was, was, was good. It was, yeah. you know, we were near the top. Um, but certainly, you know, as a, as a, a way to improve that that's definitely an area and you know we can keep my where she is and and uh, get more attempts and, and and make more uh, that we shoot and that's that's kind of the, the simple answer to it I, I mean in terms of efficiency uh, a big part of that has to be and this has been sort of this year and a half process to integrate sill into what you're doing and you know sill season last year in a lot of ways went under the radar but she was top five both uh, in terms of her defensive rating and offensive rating which is rarefied air for anyone in the league and the extent to which you can rely on her for interior scoring is you know a major change and I, I remember the challenge that you had during uh, you know the 2015 season to integrate her and to make that change sort of on the fly so is Making sure that Sill is fed a part of what you're trying to do relative to the number of threes, or do you see the threes as something that will just open up things for her even more? Well, I probably it's probably never one more than the other. I think I think both are a factor, but I think that you know um, having Sill you know take the next step in her career of um, I, I, how she's not in the MVP conversation with the type of number she's already had mm-hmm. uh, is beyond me. Um, and and I think that, you know, in terms of her game, you know, there again, we, we talked to each player about doing a little bit more. And, and so Sill's growth is one that, you know, we're going to count on heavily for the overall improvement of our team. And, and like you said, I think they're, kind of the, the results of that, some of the kind of offshoots of that are going to be that you're going to have to come double Sill. You're going to have to. If you don't come double sill, then, you know, you're going to give up, you know, three-point plays or, you know, so however we get to the three, we're, we're, we're fine with. But, um, you, know, we're, you know, we've seen in the preseason a little bit, you know, that um, she's going to attract a lot of attention. And so the, the growth for sill is, you know, decision-making, you know, when she has it down there, you know, being, you know, mindful of pace and tempo and poise and, and you know, making the most of her opportunity on every catch and whether it's for her own, score or whether it's to, you know, kind of share it, you know, in a space floor, you know, and I think the other part of our, our problems were, you know, our spacing, you know, as we, as we watch ourselves, you know, we think we've improved in that area through the preseason that, you know, we have made a, a more concerted effort. We've demanded more to make sure that we're given still the space that she needs and that we can punish people for the choices that they make. And right. so I'm, I'm really excited for, for still and, and obviously for our team to, to see how we can improve. Has integrating her into what you do exceeded your expectations both on and off the court? I, I mean, to bring in a player of her talent to a team that had already accomplished so much, uh, but accomplished the, it doing it a certain way uh, was a really significant 
coaching challenge. Is it, I mean, the results are apparent to see, whether it's, you know, winning that title and having her be finals MVP or even having the year that you had last year. How is it compared to what your expectations were uh, to have Syl uh, when you brought her in? You know, it kind of sounds odd to say, but I don't know that I necessarily had any expectations. Uh, it was really more of a learning experience when we first got Syl. I, I had limited um, interactions with Syl. I had limited time on the court with Syl, other than playing against her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you really don't know until you, you know, you're in the day-to-day trenches together, you know, what you're, you know, what kind of what you're dealing with overall. And, you know, I would say that when we acquired Syl, um, we were well into our season. We were well into our path of how, you know, we were going to be successful. And so we just really wanted Syl to kind of come in and find a market. We didn't spend a lot of time in 2015 putting pressure on Syl. Mm-hmm. We wanted her to, you know, kind of learn about us and how we do things. And, 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 and I think, we, we know, that when we played from the elbows a little bit, I think it helped her overall game, you know, familiarity, footwork, you know, ball handling, that sort of thing, decision-making. Uh, I think that was good for her to kind of broaden her horizons. And then as we as we got to the 2016 season uh, and developing our playbook for that season, we really wanted to, you know, from what we learned in 2015, we really wanted to take advantage of, you know, the interior game uh, that, that still provided. And, and so I think we did better you know, uh, was a little more extensive in, in the touches and the way we get her touches. And then, you know, I think this season has taken another big jump. And, and I really felt like, you know, they had single coverage on Syl in the in the L.A. series, and that should have been more impactful for us mm-hmm. uh, than what it was. And so I think, you know, for me, I think, you know, play calling to get Syl, you know, those touches to, to, to really make, uh, you should never be able to single cover. So I don't care who the defender is. Mm-hmm. And and so that was maybe one we let get away. You know, we, we knew it at the time. They made an adjustment. They had NECA initially on her, and they would come double with Parker. And then they went single coverage with just Parker on her. And that was something that we needed to, you know, probably exploit better than what we did. And, uh, you know, so we're going to ensure that that never happens again. Well, I'm sure the league is extremely pleased that the number one overall offensive team is going to take a leap forward. So I'm sure everyone will be very <laughs> happy. Well, we're going to gonna try. We, yeah. we know the league is really good. <laughs> it, it, it's it's an interesting thing to consider where you guys are rated, let's say, overall heading into 2017. Before we we get to uh, that, though. Uh, I, I couldn't help but notice uh, a few days ago uh, at the time that the new two-year pact was ratified uh, for the WNBA uh, officials, uh, you tweeted out, oh, good. Um, some people read uh, a little bit of sarcasm into it. Obviously, it's really hard to say on Twitter, but I thought that would be a useful moment uh, to uh, as an entry point for us to the end of the 2016 season how long does it take you to get over a final minute like that? And you, you, you had said previously you never get over it at some level, but when were you able to stop thinking about it all the time? Uh, when our season started and there was other things to think about. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so like you are still never... got it on your mind even now? Oh, there's no question. There's no question. Um, I mean, you know, much the same way when you win. 
you know, you, you carry those things with you. Um, different feelings, obviously. You know, there's things that are going to always be talked about. The experience of the totality of the season, the experience um, throughout the playoffs, the experience in the finals. There are things that happen that we'll always talk about. And, you know, obviously in this case, they're, they're not necessarily happy memories of the, the final uh, the final game, so to speak. But we have a lot of, you know, really fond memories of our season. We did a lot of things right. And, and so it wasn't a complete, um, you know, kind of feeling that, uh, you know, bad feelings. It's just right. the way that it ended. And, and I think because everything else was so good, you know, not being able to overcome, you know, the kind of the game five challenges. And, and losing at home is it's just not something that should happen. You know, you shouldn't lose at home. And we lost twice at home. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, L.A. put themselves in position. That's why I say they deserve, you know, a lot of credit. They did what we believe in doing, which is keeping yourself, you know, in the game, giving yourself a chance to win, giving, giving yourself a chance that a call here or a call there matters. Right. And that's called making your own breaks. And, and so they did that, and, and you know, and I, as I, at the end of the season, you know, gave them credit for it. That's not easy to do. It's not easy to do in front of twenty thousand people. It's not easy to do after you lost Game Four and you ch- you had a chance to close out a series. And there are so many things that, you know, kind of come to mind about it. But you know, yeah, you know, you don't get over it. You know, it's it's kind of like when you go through hard things in life um, that you don't necessarily get over it, but you know that you have to move on from it, and that's. You know, that's the feeling that we have, that we're, you know, we, we've moved on. You know, we have no problem moving on. You know, but we'll never be able to escape the feelings. Just start talking about it, and you'll, you'll, you'll sense the, the bubbling to the top is of, it, of uh, a, a number of emotions. Is it harder because, and, and look, you're right, there can be a call here and a call there, and you could always talk about things you could do differently going forward. But is it hard? I, I just I want to ask this question in a way that doesn't get you find by the lead but is there is it a different feeling when the final minute it didn't come down to just plays that there was a mistake made that compromised it and I say this as someone you know as as a neutral observer the frustration that uh, arguably the finest WNBA finals in the history of the league uh, between two elite teams was not settled purely by the players on both sides well, I mean, naturally, there's there's a you know there's a disappointing feeling about it. You know, like you said, it was it was an unbelievable series where you know lots of great players were going at it and, and providing you know an unbelievable level of entertainment. Uh, not only for the you know just WNBA fans, I think just basketball fans that tuned in. Um, and so, yeah, there's naturally you know that uh, you know at the same time, it's important not to put it all you know, on, on an officiating crew. I think that's really important, too, because, like I said, we believe in, you know, making your own breaks and putting yourself in position. And so to avoid things like that happening, you have to give yourself a cushion. Right. You have to. We say that all the time. That, that's not new. Game 5 was not new. You know, we just happened to be on the wrong side of it, you know, at, at, a, at a really inopportune time. And uh, it happens in all sports. It, it happens when you, you know, when you kind of, you leave it, you know, to a possession. You know, you're you're putting yourself at risk that you're not going to like, you know, what's going to happen. You know, yeah, by by, you know, three people that are that are human. And we we won't even talk about the fact that first uh, Lynch Sparks doesn't come till July 6th instead of being a featured opening day game. Uh, although my frustration 
uh, for that could not be any greater as it feels like a missed opportunity. But let's talk about 2017 benchmarks now as you look ahead. Statistically, otherwise, how do you set a bar for a team that has won three of the past six WNBA titles is within a couple of eyelashes of, you know, five of six. What do you, what do you set in your own mind and in the mind of your team going in to a new season? Well, I think it's, you know, if you're around this group, you understand how that's, it's, it's not really kind of what we talk about. We don't, we don't talk about a bar of any kind. Hmm. You know, I, I think this is a group that really understands how, how special it is in terms of the, the talent we have assembled uh, and then the opportunities that we have each, each day that we're together. And so I think it's probably more about that, that our focus is so um, laser, if you will, on making sure that we never let a day go by, that we don't maximize what we have. We know it's a really special time in the franchise's history. Um, we know we can't escape you know, the expectations, and we don't want to. You can't expect more of us than what we expect of ourselves. But it's really more how we do it. And, and I think that's, you know, that's what really makes this group so much fun to be around, that, you know, we know that if we do things a certain way and we do it every day and we're thinking about the right things, that the, the wins and losses take care of themselves. And, you know, there is no bar. There is no coming into it saying, okay, we won 28 games last year. Let's win 29 this year. You know, that's, that's just not how we go about it. We want, you know, our success is going to be measured based on um, this season, what happens you know, with the other teams this season, we don't have a win total in mind. We don't, you know, we, we want to be obviously the best uh, in the league. And, you know, with a new playoff format, you know, being in the top two is, is definitely beneficial. No you know, I mean, those are things that we know that are, you know, opportunities for us. But we just don't go down that road of, of you know, kind of, you know, having any bar, uh, so to speak. The only bar that we have is, is kind of the intangibles and the, and the way we go about our business. What about for you? You know, I I don't mean to date you, but uh, I grew up reading <laughs> the. Re, fair enough. I, I we won't use years, but I grew up reading the Philadelphia Inquirer, <laughs> and reading about you know the the guard out of Washington Township High School uh, who you know started at LaSalle, and you now look uh, X number of years down the line as far as what you have accomplished. What you've accomplished in this sport is you can argue unparalleled uh, in terms of the W and just uh, you can expand that to include USA basketball and ma- many other areas. So for a lot of people, it, it would be hard to come up with what you want next. And I'm wondering how much time you spent thinking about that and what you think is useful set of macro goals for you in the years ahead. Yeah, I think um, maybe that's something I've never really been that good at. You know, I, I just, I, I like to live in the moment, and I, I, I just, you know, feel so good about the, the group that we have here and, and just, again, feeling like I want to, you know, put this team in position to achieve all that it can. I want to, you know, just kind of wring it dry, so to speak, you know, um, and that's my sole focus every day. That and, and obviously... Um, my family, my son. Sure. Um, that's kind of, you know, getting getting through, you know, from the yellow room to the red room at daycare. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you know, as as, as we, you know, as, as we kind of hit different milestones and, you know, just, you know, I, I live in the moment. I live, you know, that nothing's, nothing's a given and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty focused that way. And, you know, I, I, I have lately kind of gone, you know, that, that mindset of like, holy cow, I can't believe this is, you know, how many years in the league now, you know, since 2001. Um, and I had 10 years of coaching before that. Mm-hmm. And I had a chance this off season to go experience some things at LaSalle. And, you know, um, that just, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago when I was, when I was playing. And, and, and so I, I kind of, you know, lately I've had these moments of like, wow, you know, time's just a flying and, you know, I, I just don't want this to end. You know, I don't want this ride to end, you know, sort of thing. And I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning. You know, so that's a, you know, that's kind of a, you know, kick in the gut, so to speak, in terms of a reality. And so, that you know, it creates that sense of urgency to, you know, there's so much more to do, you know, let's get to it, you know, type of thing. And it, it's in the WNBA. It's, this is, you know, this is what I want to see grow. This yeah. is, this is what, you know, has been my passion and, and will always be a passion of mine. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it doesn't seem like that long ago to me either. But, uh, I'll, <laughs> good, good. Thanks, Howard. I'll be happy to, uh, to, put the big picture bow on it quite frankly and I've written this elsewhere as you know but to anyone who uh, expressed regret over not getting the chance to go cover Pat Summit uh, I would advise you to make your way to the Twin Cities and go cover uh, the Pat of our time uh, in Cheryl Reeve so Cheryl thank you so much for taking the time to chat uh, about all of this and uh, I'll let you get to it uh, because obviously there's a, a season ahead to plan. Thanks so much, Howard. And again, thanks for all that you do for us. I appreciate I'm, you. I'm happy to do it. And just a reminder to our listeners, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook. Go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes, your podcast listen of choice. Make sure you check out the Summit, summithoops.com with two T's for 24-7 basketball coverage, including an editorial policy that, uh, as I have told Cheryl, uh, if she is reading off a menu, it matters, and we will cover it. So excited for the year ahead for all of you, for all of us as well. I'm Howard Meddahl wishing you a wonderful day.